Hi, Gary Stone from Sharewell Systems here. Sure, you may be trading stocks, ETFs, CFDs, futures, or even cryptos and FX, but how do you invest the money that really counts, including your retirement savings? Do you do it yourself, or do you feel you lack the strategies and confidence and have instead entrusted your retirement to a managed fund or financial advisor, or to somebody else to grow and protect your biggest investment? Go to sharewellsystems.com and download a case study that dissects a real money portfolio, which has achieved a return of double the ASX 200 accumulation index since January 2016. Sharewell Systems is proudly powering the spotty Your Call Hour right here on Ticker. Well, hello and welcome for the last time this week to Australia's Hour of Investing Power. It's a show that's as great as you want it to be. This is Spotty streaming to you live from Ticker TV in Richmond, which is the same suburb as Car Sales HQ, in case you're interested. And for the next 60 minutes, we're going to answer your questions live on air. So send them through right now. Dexter's waiting to take your text message 0480 079 089, or you can email us at question at spotty.com. And as a gentle reminder, you will see those details appear at the bottom of your screen throughout the show, but feel free to put it into your mobile phone or save it into your contact list. And that way, if you ever have a question that you need answered, you can immediately send it through and we'll answer it as soon as we possibly can. All right, then, well, let's get straight into it. Well, folks, you're in for a spot explosion today because I welcome my partner in shine, Chris Batchelor, to the show. G'day, Chris, how are you doing? With you again? Yeah, no, great to have you back on, mate. Now, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself, your background, um, how you like to roll with stocks, and uh, I suppose the uh, you know the way you like to go about helping investors, uh, because, uh, I, well, I'd like to say we're yin and yang, but also Cheech and Chong, I suppose it just depends what age you grew up in. But well, tell us a little bit about yourself, Chris. Sorry, Elio. So I've been around in the markets now for quite some time, um, pushing three decades, actually. Uh, Generally, have had a value investing bent, although not exclusively. I will look at growth stocks and do hold a few of those. Um, but I do like to understand the business that I'm investing in, and particularly, you know, when evaluating the prospects of a business, I really want to get in and look at the how the business operates, what their model is, what their competitors, and then also look at the risk side, what sort of debt are they carrying, and so forth. Um, yeah, you are I our tend cool to find... calm value man, and uh, no doubt uh, folks will be hearing reference to that through his uh, commentary today. Uh, the other guest is going to be me today. I'm back on the tools. You're a resident growth fiend. Uh, yes, uh, growth investing is sort of my uh, cape and what I like to do, but I will be taking on the mantle of the momentum investor today. Technical analysis will be what I'm looking for. I have a degree in something or other that I picked up somewhere that apparently means I can talk about it, uh, but everyone's got an opinion when it comes to prices going up or down. But the great thing is I've had some wonderful mentors uh, that I've really uh, sat there and actually listened to who you will hear a lot of their uh, uh, you know, the sort of quirky bits come through in my commentary today. But seriously, I believe everyone can invest successfully no matter what level of experience you're at. To be honest with you, it's a lot easier than a lot of people make it. All you need is a bit of common sense 
um, and really the ability to keep your emotions in check. And that's what Chris and I do at Spotty Consulting. And for the next hour, hopefully we give you a bit of an insight there. So we're locked and ready, folks. All we now need are your questions. So send them through right now. Uh, before we get started though, uh, no, this is not on replay. I say it every single time. And that is the information in today's program is of a general nature only. None of it takes into account your financial objectives, situations or needs. And therefore, should you decide to act on any of it, you need to do so in light of your own personal circumstances. Yes, past performance is no indicator of future performance, unfortunately. And uh, remember, folks, that uh, if you wish to speak to anyone about any of this content other than your significant other in life, then you need to do so with an advisor that's licensed to do so. And remember, Chris and I will try to disclose where we can when we do have an interest in the stock that we are discussing. But sometimes in the cut and thrust of stock discussion, we forget. So feel free to contact us uh, directly if you wish uh, to seek any further clarification as to whether um, we hold an interest in a company or not. And of course, Spotty would be nowhere if not for our great uh, partners in Shine being ShareWealth Systems. And since 1995, ShareWealth Systems have helped investors protect and grow their share portfolio. Using a rules-based investing approach, it gives them an edge over others. So if you wish to learn more about the team powering our spotlight and how you too can be the tortoise and win the race of investing life, then please go to the website, sharewealthsystems.com and be sure to read all the relevant information on screen before making any decisions. Speaking of which, I'm going to have a look at mine now. The market currently, as we go to air, currently strong. XJR up 0.7%, the All Lords 0.68%. So it looks like the big guys doing the majority of the heavy lifting, but it's not um, astronomical. It's another solid day. So it's a great day to be on the markets. And it's a great day to be part of the human race. Chris, I don't know if you saw overnight leading into this morning, those little video snippets of that lovely 90-year-old lady in, uh, in England getting her first jab there with the uh, uh, COVID-19 vaccine. And I suppose there's a bit of euphoria in and around that. And we heard the commentary in markets. You hear that optimism around COVID-19 being a theme as to why things went up. But I want to talk about the reality. And the reality can often be disconnected from what the headlines may very well say. Now, today, both have gone up. So in the sense of positive sentiment, market, and on the back of this positive news. But sometimes there'll be good or bad headlines, yet the market will act probably counterintuitive to what we may necessarily think. So Chris, why might that occur um, on occasion? What, what do you think really in regards to investors who try to trade based on headlines alone? Yeah, I think what you need to bear in mind for a lot of investors, probably the majority in the market, they're taking a long-term view. And by long-term, we're not talking weeks or months, we're talking uh, multiple years, often out to 10 years. And so a headline, whilst you know it's interesting and it's good for the day, you're really trying to understand, will this have a lasting uh, impact on, on a portfolio, on a particular stock? And what is the sort of the time frame around what that will that will unfold. So you know, with COVID, it's, it's the classic example where, yes, it's great news that this uh, vaccine has been developed and it's coming a little bit quicker than we were perhaps anticipating a few months ago. But um, most people anticipated that the COVID situation would last for a year or two. Once, you know, once it passes, we're expecting things to return to something like normal. And so you know, that, that hasn't really changed with the announcement overnight that the, the British are now uh, giving people COVID vaccines. We're still looking at that gradual return to normal over the course of next year, and that will impact different businesses in different ways. 
And look, you know, I remember an old stock dog once told me, Chris, by the time you hear about it, it's probably already <laughs> too late. And if you hear about it in the news press, then it's guaranteed that it's already too late. So I would just always caution investors um, who consider trading based on headlines that, you know, inevitably the markets tend to move and position themselves in advance um, of that. So for the shorter term traders out there, you sort of got to be a bit ahead of the game. But from a longer term investor's perspective, well, obviously you're looking at longer term trends and understanding the underlying business and then really blocking out the noise in regards to those headlines, which can obviously play a bit of, you know, short term sentiment football with your stocks. But over the long term, um, you know, it may very well lay the foundation of something good or something bad. And that's the job of being an investor and making decisions when they need to be made. But yeah, not because it's a headline that tells you so. All right then, Chris, time for us to go into questions. So question at spotty.com.au or text us 0480 And I want to start with Greg, who uh, is talking about one of the premier businesses on our stock exchange. It's JB Hi-Fi. The code is JBH. Um, now, uh, Greg points the fact that it's had a nice pullback. Uh, so obviously not holding it. <laughs> Good one, Jeff. From uh, $53 back to $43. Uh, it's now around a 20-odd percent, a little bit more than that. Pull back from there. He wants to know whether now would be a time to consider accumulating uh, this stock or could there be a possible deeper pullback? So, Chris, I'll uh, start off with you on this one here. JB Hi-Fi, what's your thoughts uh, with regards to this retailer? I don't think anyone disputes the fact that they're uh, good at what they do. But at these current prices and uh, the like, what, what do you uh, feel lies ahead for this great company? Yeah, well, as you said earlier, they've been a great business for a long time now. Revenue increasing an average of 70% for the last five years and profits likewise. And those profits, you know, they translate into good cash flow. So that's you know, a really good sign. Just worth noting, they do carry a bit of debt. So that's a, just a note of caution. Um, uh, this pullback, you know, we're talking about headlines. The pullback's probably based around the sentiment that the good times are over, that the whole work from home trend, the housebound entertainment theme, that that's starting to peter out as the COVID risk diminishes. And it's interesting to note, analysts actually for FY22 revenue will return to roughly the same level as FY20, having peaked higher than that in FY21. So that means that they're forecasting almost no growth between FY20 and FY22. And to be honest, I think that's a little bit too pessimistic given JB Hi-Fi's track record. And also, you know, the buildup of savings that we're seeing in the economy. There's a lot of pent up spending that can potentially start to um, be fed, drip fed back into the market, back into businesses over the coming years. So looking at it, you know, with this pullback, the, the forward PE ratios are about 14 for FY21 and 16 for FY22. So I think those valuations are very reasonable for what is a well-run business. Okay, so look, I've got to agree with all those sentiments, uh, Chris, but I am taking the technical analyst hat on today. So we can throw back on that chart because what everyone will notice that there is a bit of a double top from August uh, and October. So you'll see those two little peaks there. And so the textbook is going to tell us that the margin, so you'll see that price has actually just broken through the neckline where that little bounce between those two peaks has occurred. And the textbook tells us that when it breaks that level, uh, then uh, basically you would expect uh, the downside margin. At the moment, it's the inverse of the peak from the neckline to the top. So now neckline down. So that works to around $40. So Greg, that would be the better buying if you were looking at it from a technical analysis perspective. However, 
If the price holds here, it'd be a pretty strong support level. Uh, so, um, you know, you'd be basically looking for uh, around that uh, $4 from here. So around 47 again is a possible re-entry point. So if it holds and then recoups a little bit around that $4 mark, that could be another entry point if it doesn't break through the neckline and go down further. But if it falls uh, to 40, then your next downward targets are 36.50 and $33. Anything else lower than that would be purely guessing. Now, I'm not the, uh, you know, what I've described here are not levels to buy at. They're key levels to watch. So where it is at the moment is one of those key levels. If it breaks that, it could go down to 40 and then subsequent, subsequent. But then if it holds, that is then the point that maybe you might want to consider buying into this quality business purely from a technical analyst perspective. And what you'll need to do is see, you know, what the chart looks like. Like, does it form a pattern? Is there a breakout? Does it consolidate? Because as many of our guests talk about, you want to see that consolidation in price rather than zipping around all over the place. Where's the money flow? What's the RSI doing at one? Gary um, uh, Burton, one of our great uh, supporters, he loves that indicator there. In my view, don't preempt the price because it's right on the precipice. Just let it do what it's got to do and then act based on that, Greg. So I think patience will be a winner here. Chris, I want to go to Peter's question now. My, um, oh, I going to call it my net phone, just showing my age. Of course, it's now MNF Group uh, because it's evolved beyond the old um, uh, internet VoIP uh, uh, processes they had. Um, Peter notes correctly that they are a disruptor in the traditional voice telephony space, although that said, they've been servicing clients like Google and Skype and all that for many, many years now, well over a decade. So um, talk about disrupting, they're really shaking, uh, shaking it out there if they are, because they're already a mainstay um, in that space. Obviously though, he's noted that the company is spending or investing quite heavily in Singapore, which seems to be a bit of a, you know, a, a telco hotbed um, at the moment with TPG and a few others. Um, yeah, he's saying there's a technical trial due by the end of this calendar year, production by 2021. But what he notes, and really all it really comes down to, is that the price um, has fallen from recent highs of 620 uh, to be around $4.60. And he would like to know what's its chances of possibly retesting that high once again. So Chris, what is, what's your view in regards to MNF Group? Uh, good business. I mean, it's been around as long as you and I have. Yeah, exactly. Um, and if you take a 10 year view, you know, they've been a very strong performer, the revenue, the profits, the share price, they've all been showing double digit annual returns. Mm -hmm. um, however, when you start looking at the per share statistics and some of the key ratios like your ROE, it appears things peaked a bit around 2017, 2018. Now that doesn't mean there've been any major problems since then. It's just that it's getting harder to generate those same sorts of returns. And that's something that always happens as a business grows it gets more and more difficult to maintain that level of strong growth. Um, so, you know, getting to the question, look, just looking at the valuations today, given that I think there's a bit of uncertainty, which, which was highlighted around their outlook, it's probably trading at a fair level today, perhaps even slightly high. Um, obviously it, it could retest those previous highs, but, but right now I would say it's fair value. Okay, so time for me to roll up the sleeves and we'll throw on that chart there, Mr. Producer, if you can, because what you'll notice immediately, even without having a background in technical analysis, is that it's going sideways. It's basically range bound between some $5.15 I'm seeing here and $4.30. Now, it did have a gap up day on the 2nd of December, but unfortunately, it came back pretty quick, which doesn't really look good. It may test the $4.30 zone soon enough again, uh, but it will need to hold that and then possibly it'll move up. Now, 
I suppose me being the optimist and uh, having backed Renee Sugo for quite some time and know the business quite well, even though I don't hold the stock at the moment, if it gets to $5.15 and it breaks through that, then you might get interested in the stock. And its next level of resistance, where it could possibly bubble along from that, is $5.80, which is about 11%, I think, or 12% from uh, that 5.15 breakout. It may be worth then um, a bit of an option or a bit of a you know, punt, as it were, to try to get in a little early. If it breaks $6.20, then your next target's basically a dollar up uh, from that, which will be its all-time high. So they're the steps that I think in regards to um, uh, MNF that you need to uh, look out for. If it breaks below $4.30, actually, mind you, Peter, um, it might pop back up into that range, but I would consider having my stop loss really, really close for an elegant exit. Okay, the next question, um, I'll give you a break on, uh, oh no, actually, Chris, I'm going to go here. Uh, Chris, another Chris has actually asked you a question. You didn't ask yourself this because he said, can you please ask The Bachelor? So uh, I'm assuming you don't nickname yourself that. Um, I just wanted to know about one stock or two stocks, but I'll give you the first one first. John Ling's uh, group, uh, code JLG. He'd be very interested to hear your view in regards to that business, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, they're a building services company and what that means, they primarily de um, derive their revenue from insurance building and restoration services. Um, they actually own a whole large portfolio of different businesses. And it's uh, interesting to note about 18% of their revenue is generated from responding to catastrophes. Now their revenue has doubled in the last five years, profits increased five times. But they do operate on pretty tight margins, as is often the case in the building industry, of around 6%. Um, you know, they're up around $500 million in revenue. They've got more cash than they do debt on the balance sheet, so that's good. The cash flow is strong. And they've provided guidance for FY21 of revenue of around $485 million, a little bit down on this year. But they're showing uh, EBITDA growth of 30%, up to $41.2 million. So really, the main drawback with this company is just the price. You know, they've, they've rallied about 40% in the last year, and they're now trading on what's a pretty lofty forward PE of about 40. So everything else, I think, stacks up with this business. It really just comes down to a question of valuation and what you're prepared to pay for it. Yeah, it's one of the rare companies that actually does well when there's a crisis or a disaster. Not many of them, like AMA, for example, when you have a car accident, well, they make money out of that. These guys here, when your house uh, gets burnt down or um, wind blows it over, um, or of course, uh, yeah, Invocare and a few other funeral parlors that are now moving on to the exchange. But if you can deal with the morbidity, it is a solid business. Um, but yeah, obviously a bit lumpy in terms of its earnings and therefore that can hurt it. Speaking of lumpy, uh, Sean has asked me, uh, well, he's asked a technical question, so I'll be assuming that role today for you, Sean. Um, now, he's asked about South32, S32, which was a company that, uh, look, I'm going to defer to Gary Burton on this one here, who had it as one of his stocks to see the light on yesterday. Have a listen to that po podcast, actually, uh, for those wondering. Sean listens uh, to our program on the podcast, which everyone else can on your favourite podcast channel as well. Um, now, I said uh, in that as well that I have a world record in getting South32 wrong followed closely by Bluescope, actually. Must be something to do with these BHP spin-offs. Uh, glad I get BHP right. Um, anyway, thousand times a charm, so here we go. It's been a strong run uh, up until now. Uh, you mentioned there that you did take a position at the $2, so you're sitting on a nice profit here. I think the first level that you're gonna need to watch is $2.51. I'd say 51, not 50, because generally 
As someone once uh, told me, you know, you sort of buy at ones and you sell at eights and nines because zeros tend to be points of resistance. So 51 will be careful. If it breaks through that and then gets through that 250 quickly, uh, then it could actually uh, uh, fall down to $2.35. Now, that's not disastrous. And you might be sitting there saying, well, it's $2.60 to $2.30. I mean, that's half the gains I've made given I bought it at $2. But unfortunately, when your price runs up quite aggressively, you do need to leave it loose in order to give it that space to move and breathe. If you cut it too short, particularly after these strong runs, you're often left holding the can and possibly chasing back at higher prices. But if it gets past that 235, I think uh, that uh, is uh, you know what would uh, really, really um, hurt it. But uh, if you want to protect some gains though, Sean, look at that $2.50 level if you're a little bit nervous uh, with your uh, trigger finger. Otherwise, um, you know, just be uh, calm and rational and you'll be fine when you get um, a little bit later. Now, I do want to get to um, uh, another one just here, if you don't mind. Uh, Kevin has asked about an ETF, which is QAU. Um, it's a gold play, obviously. Kevin's our resident ETF man, although he has ventured into stocks recently, so good on you, Kevin. Um, Chris, QAU, just a bit of background in regards to what it is, because it isn't a just a pure gold play, a little bit more uh, detailed than that, or one particular bit in there. And what's your view in regards to gold and therefore QAU? I have to confess, Elias, not a sector I follow. Mm -hmm. um, I've always found gold to be too speculative for my liking. Yep. Well, <laughs> there you go. There's a man. See, straight down the gun. Whereas, you know, me, I'll give you a, a doctoral <laughs> thesis to tell you that I don't like it. But in this instance, well, I think it's important to know that gold is currently in a downward channel. And this is pretty important for everyone to know because this is one of the uh, the sort of the anti-studies in recent times. Everyone's been thinking gold's due to run up. It's pretty money. Bitcoin's getting into favor. The world's gone nuts. And yet gold is going down. As economies in the world, it's particularly the US dollar rises. And I think that's the important thing to note here. I think gold is less a counterweight against economies rather than now the US dollar. And effectively... If the U.S. economy, the world, whatever it is, goes to the, you know, the, the outhouse, then basically it is the U.S. dollar that strengthens. When the U.S. dollar strengthens, that does um, impact gold. Now, gold has had a bit of a rally recently, but if you look at that peak um, that it once had, you'll notice that it is definitely um, a channel. And that started, um, you know, it did have, you know, you'll notice though at the end of November, it did have a downward break of the channel and it's sort of, uh, and actually moved below the 200-day moving average. That was a, a pretty, that could have potentially have been a really, really big event, um, but it's like an old boxer picked itself up off the canvas and keeps swinging. Um, and it's now halfway up the channel and at least heading up, but it is still in a downward channel. So I just need to reinforce and say that any pullback needs to be above $1,775 an ounce. Uh, if you want added comfort, you might want to wait for $1,910, okay? Um, so that's um, that's uh, pretty uh, important. But hopefully that gives you some guidance there. QAU, they have the currency hedge option too. So you need to remember that um, it is going to be hedged to currency and therefore you just need to be familiar um, with the impacts that, you know, an Aussie dollar strengthening or weakening and what that's likely to do. But otherwise, yes, it pretty much tracks the gold price, except recently where currencies move one way, gold the other, and there's sort of been a short-term disconnect. Uh, the next question's actually uh, for me, so you can keep having a, uh, a drink of water there. Oh, actually, no, it's not. It's for you, Chris. Uh, Macmillan Shakespeare, actually. I want to ask you about this one, MMS. Um, has, uh, 
He just wants to know whether the earnings expectations for the business have been affirmed recently or what, what analysts are thinking about it, particularly in light of, you know, businesses reopening and the new COVID normal and all that sort of stuff and them being involved with leases. So Macmillan Shakespeare, I know you were across this in a past life. What's your view at the moment? Yeah, um, my view of this company and this sector in particular is that salary packaging and leasing, it's a really tough sector. You know, in M&M, MMS's case, they've had the share price and the dividends. They're still really at about the same level as they were in 2012. Mm -hmm. um, you've had two really steady challenges throughout that, you know, that whole period and, and will be ongoing for these businesses. That is that there's been a gradual decline in car ownership. So new car sales have been in decline for a long time now. They did increase in November, but that was the first time in a long time. And one month doesn't make a trend. There's also a lot of millennials now that are opting to use public transport or ride share, car sharing schemes rather than having their own car. Now COVID might impact that a little bit, but I think the trend is likely to resume once COVID's behind us. So that's one issue. The second issue is regulatory risk. All of these um, companies, or the, the benefits that you gain from using these packaging deals, they all rely heavily on taxation law. And that can be a political football. Yeah, I know when you read through their presentations, there's a lot of talk about restructuring. And whilst they're always trying to put a positive spin on that, basically what it means is they've screwed up and now they're trying to fix it. <laughs> and like other companies in this segment, you know, they made a foray into the UK market and that hasn't gone well. They've had a shocker in 2020. Um, obviously, that's not entirely their fault, but the more robust businesses were able to withstand the challenges a lot better. So, you know, my perspective, it's, it's cheap from a valuation perspective, but I think that valuation actually just re reflects the inherent risks in the business. So sorry, yeah. not much positive out of that, but yeah, no. not one of my favorites. No. And look, you know, I mean, that's, it's just that business model, isn't it? And a lot of, you know, new emerging players nipping at the heels. It's got a bit of a thematic push behind it at the moment, but from a business perspective, yeah, I think you'd want to see the next set of financials to confirm that. Otherwise it could be just a cinema trade. Um, and now great. Good on you. Uh, now that question was from Chris. He also, asked me another one and I'm glad you gave uh, Chris the easy ones and gave me the hard ones. That's uh, really much appreciated. Uh, the company you want to know about is Cogstate, CGS, uh, which is an interesting little business for those. And the reason why Chris asked me about it is because I wrote an article for the AFR in regards to mental health and how companies are adapting technology to try to assist them. This is a little bit different. It fell outside the scope of that. Those two stocks I talked about uh, was um, uh, Medibio, of course, and uh, Total Brain. Uh, which is TTB, but I want to go back um, in regards to this. So what these guys do is they have a, an electronic cognitive test to assess brain health. So normally what you would expect would be you get a piece of paper, you answer a few questions and you get the finger put in front of you and that determines um, how your uh, mental uh, state's being after a brain injury or the like. But these guys are introducing an electronic means of doing that, which they believe is far more accurate and uh, more, uh, you know, more precise really than the old tried and true methods. Now, the reason why CGS is different than uh, Medi, um, Medibio and TTB is because, well, it's just different. Those guys are looking at mental well-being. These guys here are looking at trauma. So more of a comparison, actually, would be Compumedics. Uh, the code is CMP, who uh, basically have a neural ESG type uh, program, and they're also profitable. But let's go back to Cogstate. few things. One, they've got cash in the bank, $7 million. So they've got a runway till at least 2022, um, I would say. So... In a few things, in, until then, there's a few things they hope. Um, one, they uh, hope a return on cognitive issues such as Alzheimer's. So 
since 2018, I don't know why it actually occurred, but there was apparently a massive drop-off in regards to the amount of research firms that were looking into Alzheimer's. So, you know, these researchers would use someone like a CGS to have the equipment to test and see if things were improving or getting worse. Um, and then all of a sudden these studies stopped. Now, activity is returning according to the company, so that is a good thing. But I think what the market is really hoping for is the success of their Cogni, uh, Cognigram, I think that's right, Cognigram uh, product, which is being developed for healthcare professionals. So rather than just the researchers actually putting it out there in the, in the uh, I suppose, the treatment land and actually getting professionals to use it for their clients. Now, they've signed this massive agreement with ISI, which is a Japanese biotech business for global distribution. Yeah, sure, it's not GE, but they generated something like $3 billion worth of US revenue uh, in the first six months of this year. So they're no, uh, uh, they're no pushover. They're definitely of sizable size. Now, the announcement of that deal saw its price jump from 80 cents to a dollar. Uh, uh, and look, after some profit taking, I think it's actually settled now. I think the next catalyst will be the success of Cognigram. So, you know, you're going to probably have to wait till after Christmas, I dare suggest, uh, to January for a bit of a sales update. Once you get that, then that may very well give you um, the guidance you need to, to get a bit of conviction there. But obviously, um, at the moment, it's still in the early stages of its revenue generation. Talking about revenue generation, Chris, you can have a glass of water because it's up to uh, me now to remind everyone that uh, if you've got a question, by all means, send it through to question at spotty.com.au or text us 0480 0790089. Go to spotty.com.au if you want to watch past episodes of the program or alternatively, uh, go to and listen to us on the podcast. Now, we continue with our exploration of the 16 trades of successful investing that our great supporters at ShareWealth Systems have made available to all viewers at Spotty. And today we learn, well, something that both Chris and I are very passionate about, and that is why we need to be coachable. Now, sure, if you want, you can fumble around in your investing, make the same mistakes we've all made before, if you like. But, you know, don't take shortcuts when it comes to uh, building your investment plan. Really, you need to, you need, it's a bit of a school of hard knocks. And if you want to avoid the knocks because you're a little bit skin sensitive, then you do need to go with someone who is, is experienced in the investing game, who is willing to walk that journey with you. Having a good mentor can not only fast track your learning, but also inspire you when you feel demotivated and enlighten you in moments of despair. That's why I love doing this show because I keep learning from people like Chris and all the great guests uh, that came on, come on, and I share that with our uh, with our clients and apply that to my own investing as well. So go to the website, 16traits, that's 16traits.com, and learn why being coachable will put you on the path to investing success. All right, then, as we uh, halfway through the show, the market's currently uh, relatively uh, same level as where we were before, around that 0.6-odd uh, level. Um, so it looks like it's found its feet for the day. Hopefully it can maintain that. It'll be a win. Uh, when we uh, close up shop at four o'clock this afternoon. Okay, Chris, I'm going to go to you with this question. Interesting little um, uh, business here. Where are we? It's from Joseph, actually. And this was from the other day. So sorry, I couldn't get to it then, Joseph, but uh, we've got it here now. Uh, he recently invested into a company called Crowd Media. The code is CM8. Uh, it's been listed for about five years, according to him. It's gone backwards, basically. It's brought in some uh, experienced investors uh, who are very happy with the technology. Well, you sort of expect that, right, Joseph? You know, it's not a, like a popularity contest. If you've got money in, you're going to say you're interested, right? Um, it's a small cap business. Uh, these investors uh, now are starting to get real revenue in, so they're starting to get some sales. 
Well, it's an interesting little bit of technology, Chris. I mean, I'm thinking about getting it for us, you know, where someone could sit there and uh, we could, uh, you know, they're watching their various uh, share program and get your little head popping up uh, and, be, you know, you being the massive social influencer that you are. And you could be convincing people to go and join Spotty Consulting because uh, you're so recognisable. People will buy anything you've got to sell. But obviously, sometimes a good idea can take a bit of time to hit the rubber hit the road. What's your view in regards to CWA from a fundamental perspective? And then I'll give my view on the chart. Yeah, okay. Um, apologies to Joseph in advance, but I struggled anything to like about this company. Mm -hmm. And I really looked hard, but I could, just couldn't come up with anything. I, you see quotes like, facing strong regulatory and market headwinds. And that's from their September quarter update. You know, the price has been a lot. Yes, there's been a recent uptick, but looking at longer term, it's it's really been in decline. Revenue's also been in decline. They're not profitable. They seem to be getting wrapped on the knuckles a bit by the ASX. And to me, the, the strategy just seems to involve a lot of hope and not a huge amount of substance. Um, I'd want to see some more runs on the board before I'd be willing to commit my hard-earned cash to this one. Yeah, and couldn't say that's a better myself. It is a big hit and hope type of stock. Look, but technical analysis, here I go. It's got a long basing pattern, right? Since 2018, actually. And it started to come to life. Uh, though I think the bloke who bought it at 10 cents and now sees it at 50 cents would probably, well, sorry, 10 cents and now sees it at 5 cents, who's lost 50%, would probably disagree. Uh, but that's okay. I mean, that's just uh, share investing. Uh, at least it's at the same price of what it was three years ago. So that might be some solace. Now, it announced actually on Monday that it had cleared some debt. So that's good. Um, at least that's got that. From a chart perspective, well, these long basing patterns are actually pretty good signals. You've got to remember, though, it is relatively illiquid, so it makes it hard to analyse price action. It sort of tends to be a fundamental driver that will kick the price up and make it stay there. But look, if it cracks 6.5 cents, then the next target will be 10 cents, which is that recent high, and break that, well, then you might be giggling like a kid on a Dodgem car ride. Uh, you'll get knocked around a bit, but geez, it's going to be a hell of a lot of fun. So hopefully that helps you there, Joseph. But yeah, I, I've got to admit the fundamentals, though, are something that I'm very cognizant of. And uh, I'd advise you to also have a bit of a look at too. Chris, are you into this whole cannabis um, thing? Because I've got a question here from Anthony, who asked us about CPH. Um, and it's had a big run recently. Uh, just wants to know, there's been no news. So he wants to know why it has gone up so much. And yesterday, I think it went up some 50%. But I think uh, just to give you a bit of a lead in, in regards to this, Chris uh, and Anthony, um, it was no island. A lot of the marijuana stocks um, had a very strong run up. Uh, Chris, are you, uh, do you know why that might have occurred? Yeah, I, I do, Elio. Um, there actually has been a fair bit of news in this space. And that is that what's happened is the EU a court in the EU's ruled that the European member states must not prohibit the lawful marketing of lawfully produced can can I, however you say that CBD products. Yeah, um, yep. so, so what that means, yes, that's all. What that means, you know, these CBD products they're derived from cannabis, but they don't have the the psychotropic properties. In other words, you don't get high on them. Mm. So they're increasingly being used as in a variety of medicinal purposes. And so the EU have come out and ruled that um, the, the member states have to allow for these products to be marketed. And they've also also said that, you know, they cannot be considered as a narcotic drug and therefore they can freely be sold in the EU. 
Now, that was followed just a couple of days later by a decision by the UN to reclassify cannabis from what's called Schedule 4 to Schedule 1, which means that it's now considered to be a much less dangerous drug. And essentially, again, that recognises the medicinal properties of cannabis. And then following that, another four days later, the US House of Representatives passed a bill to decriminalise cannabis at a national level. So here you've got three pretty significant regulatory developments that have really changed the landscape for the whole cannabis medicinal market. And it's opened up a whole lot of opportunities to me like um, Cresso Pharma, where you know, they're already established in this space and now they, they see the opportunity to really expand their market. Yeah, and the other advantage is CPH is sitting there in Canada, of course, about 1,200 miles from the US border and they can take it over and not have to worry. And even um, in a fact, the, uh, if I can throw that into Australia, they're thinking about moving uh, the uh, cannabinoid type um, product uh, from uh, Schedule 4, which is, you know, your pretty dangerous sort of stuff, to Schedule 3, which in effect would mean you can buy it over the counter at your pharmacy as well. So there's a big global shift at the moment. Their first mover advantage because they've already got a site up and running. I think it's important to note, though, that really, you know, they're just growing grass. And if there's any indication that the knuckleheads I've seen have done it before in the past, it ain't take a rocket science to get it done. So there could be a lot of competitors coming on board um, that might very well impact it. But their first mover advantage means they're definitely in the limelight here. And therefore, as a result of that, you've seen quite a bit of support uh, for their price. Uh, Chris, I've got a follow-on question from uh, Greg, who was actually very happy uh, with your uh, JB Hi-Fi uh, response and therefore has dipped in again and because we're always happy to, uh, to do that. Kogan, KGN, uh, interesting business, I suppose. Uh, definitely a different share price trajectory than JB Hi-Fi in recent times. In fact, uh, uh, many have pit the two together and often uh, said that Kogan's the place to be rather than JB Hi-Fi. Online retailer, I don't think I need to explain to people the sort of checkered history it's also got in regards to share sales and, and issues of shares and all that sort of thing. But from a business perspective, what's your view in regards to Kogan? Uh, yeah, I prefer JB Hi-Fi. Mm -hmm. And that's mainly just because they've got that solid reputation. They've been doing it for longer, although Kogan's not a new company. No. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I would say just looking at, you know, certainly from a fundamentals perspective, from a perspective of someone who likes to call himself a value investor, then you're going to gravitate towards JB Hi-Fi because it's just so much cheaper. Mm. Um, and you can, you can see, you know, how they're generating their profits and, and the price reflects that. Whereas with, with Kogan, you know, there's potentially a lot of upside and potentially more upside. But there's also a significantly more risk. It's, you know, it's a competitive space. They're up against the likes of Amazon and all the major retailers are now moving into online, including JB Hi-Fi. So whether they can continue to out-compete um, you know, the, the other major players in this space, only time will tell. They've obviously done well so far, but I would just, at the end of the day, I'd come back to that whole valuation perspective and you're paying... Yeah, roughly two and a half times uh, JB Hi-Fi if you want to buy Kogan. And, and you've got to ask yourself, is it two and a half times better? Yeah, now we've got a head and shoulders pattern that's emerged there uh, for you, uh, uh, Greg, in case you're wondering. You'll notice that on the right-hand side, a bit hard to see with the line graph, but it's definitely there. What we've seen now currently is it's right on the point. 
It's broken that neckline, but you'll notice from the low, I'm just having a look here, which actually coincides with the 200 day moving average. And that's a pretty powerful support level. And it's doing that here. It bounced off that $15.77 and is now currently at $18.24, which is back to that neckline position. It's all about the next few days. This thing keeps going up. Well, then it could possibly make a newer, lower high. And that'll be interesting, whether it's a lower high or a new higher high from that gap up day, which occurred back when it got to $23 back in early November. If it can't get that, then there'll be technical analysts clamoring over themselves saying that this is now in an official downward trend and therefore that may very well increase the momentum on the way down. So it's, it's a bit of a politician's answer. I'm neither saying yay or nay in regards to the chart here on this regards, Greg, but definitely the next week or so of price action is gonna be quite telling. If it holds, goes up, then the next point will be, can it break that previous high? If it can't, then it will be a lower high. And then if it retraces down, then yes, you'll need to be careful. And look, you know, possible lowest targets would be, you know, $10, um, which is a fair way down, but that would be, there'd be many uh, milestones along that way. For now though, um, it's sort of really on the precipice. Uh, I'll just go to you on this one here, uh, Chris. Uh, the question comes from Phil. He would like a view in regards to red cloud. Code is RCL. Um, you know, just uh, wondering, uh, just some fundamentals, so you don't have to go too much. He wants more technical level discussion, so I'll look at the chart in a moment. Um, but he just uh, would be very interested in regards uh, to this business because it has a digital platform that it sells to schools um, to help with, you know, the facilitation of e-learning. So um, is RCL a stock that you're uh, familiar with or the broader e-learning space? Yeah, I've had a bit of a look at it. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's a good business on, the, on certainly on the face of it and enabling textbooks to be delivered as eBooks um, with functionality to enable comments and importing third party content. Yeah, that's the way of the future. I know I just spent a small fortune on my son's high school textbooks for next for next year and they all have to be eBooks as well as paper books. Yep. Um, revenues have been growing very strongly and it looks like it's on the cusp of profitability. And that can often be a, a point of inflection for a stock and it can lead to a re-rating. So it's always very interesting to look at businesses when they're at that point where they're transitioning from having been um, growing revenues but making a loss to that point where they start to make a profit. However, again, the, the valuation question really is a pressing one for me. It's roughly 10 times revenue at the moment, which is expensive at face value. And you've got to ask the question, you know, given that they're basically focused on Australia, how, how big is the market in Australia for them to uh, address? And also, you know, this is quite a crowded space. It, it's, it's not rocket science and there are quite a lot of people um, providing solutions in this space and, and they're all marketing themselves to schools to try to get, if, basically the idea is you get a school on board and then you'll get all the students who attend that school because they're told, you know, you must use this product. But to justify a valuation of, you know, at the moment about 77 million with revenues of around 7 million, you, you really got to convince yourself that they can grow this business significantly. Yeah, there is another player I've spoken about on the program before, Janice uh, Education, J-A-N, more focused on exam delivery and they have the overseas aspect as well. But I think there was a, a bit of a double uh, whammy here, Chris, that both companies, both Janice um, and uh, RCL gave pretty solid updates on very, very similar times. So that saw that massive re-rate recently where they were both quite optimistic 
about their business's future. Uh, look, with regards to this, I wouldn't chase it from a technical perspective um, on this one, Phil. You really need to let the price find itself after such a sharp run because it can shift quickly either way. A key level from here will be 64 cents if it's able to maintain that. Uh, look, fail that and it could get back down to 55 cents. But if it breaks up and stays above the, uh, just having a look here, 74 cents, then it could be some clear sky. Uh, but then I think it's important that you uh, keep appropriate stop losses in place. Make sure you don't fall in love with the buggers. And uh, yeah, if needed, maybe sell it before you come back from the uh, UK. Um, all right then. So next question uh, here that I just want to uh, go down. Sorry. And thank you very much, everyone, for sending them through. It's just been wonderful. Stephen would like a fundamental view on Plexure, code PX1, a relatively new listing. So we don't have too much history in terms of its share market. Um, experience, but definitely a business that's been around a bit. Chris, he'd like to hear the analyst's view in regards to the company's future prospects uh, and what could be a possible good entry point in the technical side of things. I'll look after that. Uh, take it away. What do you think of PX1? Yeah, interesting. Very interesting business, actually. It actually has been around for quite a while and it's been listed in New Zealand quite some time. So the, the listing on the ASX just last month, that was a secondary listing, but you can... Um, have a look at their history on, on the New Zealand Stock Exchange. Mm. Um, revenue has been growing strongly and it's forecast to be um, 29 million in FY21. Just worth noting too that the New Zealand financial year ends in March. So they're actually getting towards the end of that FY21 year. Um, they've got, it's a curious business. They have a global presence creating like mobile marketing engagement apps. The idea being to, to drive um, in-store purchases for things like fast food chains, grocery stores, convenience stores, um, and retail stores. So some of their biggest customers are McDonald's, um, 7-Eleven, and actually McDonald's in Japan is, is their biggest customer. And, the, and that makes Asia their biggest market, followed by the US. So, you know, they've invested really heavily. They've increased their headcount by 70%, and they've raised about 35 million in capital. Um, and so they were affected by COVID as well. It's worth noting because obviously their product is trying to get people to buy things in stores, which of course is what we weren't really allowed to do for a, a period of time there. And, and overseas, that's still the case in, in some countries. So assuming that countries start to emerge from COVID sometime during the next year, that give them a, a further tailwind. It's also worth noting there's no shortage of competition. There's a lot of firms in this sort of space. So to maintain that strong growth trajectory, they're really going to need to continue to provide great benefits to their customers. But it seems that to date, at least, they've been able to do that. And the reason um, firms use them is they, they can see and very easily measure the uptake that they get in sales once they uh, utilize this product. So, uh, of course, from a valuation perspective, the key question is, can they justify a, a price to sales ratio of around seven? And yeah, it's hard to know that. But it's certainly a very interesting business. Yeah, and look, unfortunately, from an Aussie chart perspective, it's too skinny. I can't give you much guidance there. But yeah, look, at least they're doing all the right thing. And hopefully they recover from the uh, sell-off that they've experienced recently. Uh, now, oh, Chris, we're going to come to you for See the Light in a moment. So get yourself ready for that. Uh, I'm going to spend the time in between there, though, answering Neil's question about a company uh, called uh, King Island Shelight, actually. Uh, I know this business quite well, so uh, hang on to your hats, folks, because 
It's a tungsten explorer, likely to be a producer out of Tasmania from its dolphin mine, and it's got some pretty big potential. Why? Well, one, it's one of the world's, if not the world's highest grade tungsten resource. Two, tungsten of all metal elements is the highest, or has the highest melting point. It's added to other metals like nickel, for example, adds, uh, acts as a binding agent, which makes it around three times stronger than what titanium is. Basically, it's hard to scratch, even if you hit me in the head with it. Uh, tungsten is also in Shiite ore. That's what the uh, company means. So you don't just dig for tungsten. It's actually in ore, and then you've got to extract it out. Uh, and there aren't many tungsten deposits in the Western world left. In fact, 80% of it comes out of, yep, you guessed it, China. You know what happened with rare earths. Now, there are a few large Chinese and Russian miners that are actually coming to end of life. It's got all the uh, state EPA approvals that it needs, and it'll be dirt cheap to run. There's exploration upside. It's only two kilometers from the deep sea port. It's right next door. And it signed an agreement with Noble who will take 70% of its production off its hands. It's just raised $2.5 million. Once it completes its revised feasibility study, I think it'll get, be really short work to get it online. It is thinly traded though, folks. So that's the thing you've got to be aware of. Relatively tightly held for good reason. No one wants to sell it. Higher risk, but uh, much of that is actually managed now, particularly in regards to that contract. So um, I haven't seen what the price has done today. Generally tends to swing a little bit. It was last around the 10 cent mark. It is a little interesting story, has its risks, but I think there's some uh, good things about it. Unfortunately though, Neil, you also ask about uh, Celsius resources, uh, which I know is a cobalt play, but you know, I think they've pivoted now to gold and copper and there's really not much else I can add in and around that, I'm afraid. So uh, yeah, good luck uh, searching on Google. All right then, Chris, it's time for us now to uh, see the light, which of course is brought to you by our great friends at Macro Capital. Macro Capital that has all the tools and equipment you need in order for you to conduct your analysis, do your research and execute on any opportunities that you hear on this program or any other that you come across. Now go to the website to learn how they help investors every single day. Their website being macro, macro.com.au and they help us Australians uh, shine a light on the markets and navigate them with confidence every day. All right then, uh, Chris, what two stocks do you want to help us see the light on uh, and that we're going to listen to attentively, then toddle off and do our own assessment as to whether it aligns with our investment objectives and tolerance to risk? I'd um, pick two stocks that are sort of at the opposite ends of the spectrum. So one's a large stock, but stock being Ansel, uh, code A-N-N, and the other is a really small stock called Tiny Beans, being uh, T-N-Y. So I'll start with Ansel. So Ansel, many people will know Ansel, but they're, they're focused on safety equipment. So think gloves, think um, PPE, which we've all become such, I'd never heard of the term, but now we all know personal protective <laughs> equipment. <laughs> um, so 55% of their revenue comes from that healthcare sector, but 45% comes from the industrial sector. So that's things like really strong gloves for people that are working on dangerous machines and things like that. Mm. Now, um, you know, they earn a decent return on equity around 12%. They've got very little debt on the balance sheet and they've been showing steady earnings growth. But obviously the share price, as you can see on that chart, has fallen around 20% from its highs of about a month ago. And this is a, probably another classic case of a stock trading on headlines. Clearly a COVID vaccine is perceived as a negative for them because there'll be less demand for PPE. But I think it's worth noting, you know, in a post COVID world, 
Yeah, we probably will see some reduced demand for the healthcare side of their PPE. But remember, that's only a bit over half their business. And it may also not be as big a reduction as people are expecting. You know, I think the benchmark has really been raised in terms of um, standards for hygiene, as well as just being well stocked with PPE. Everyone was caught out at the start of this crisis of just not having enough of this stuff on hand. Um, so I think you'll find that there's a trend towards um, changing your PPE more frequently and also just having a good um, backlog of stock. Uh, also, you know, just looking at the valuation, I wouldn't describe it as cheap yet, but if it does get down to around that $30 mark, I think it starts to look very interesting. Hmm. So I'll, I'll move on now to Tiny Beans. Now, Tiny Beans is spectrum and as its as its name suggests it is a tiny stock with a market cap of around 60 mil now what they do is they're an app and a website and an ecosystem to help parents with raising children initially they were focused on toddlers, but they recently or at the start of this year they purchased a business called red tricycle and that's more focused on older children so you know they're going to grow with the kids is the idea now they generate most of their revenue through advertising and they've got some big contracts that they've won with well-known brands like YouTube Kids, Lego, Disney, and a bunch of others. And they're also growing their premium subscription revenue. And that, that's that's a key focus area for them. So that's, you know, you use the app, you pay for it, and therefore you don't um, get advertising and you get certain other benefits and so forth. And finally, they make a small amount of money from printing, which is where people print the photos that they've um, stored and make them into a book. And they're also just starting to move into e-commerce. Now, they were founded in Sydney, but they are now a fully based, uh, fully US-based firm um, based out of New York. They're yet to turn a profit, but their revenues have been growing strongly. And they've also been adding to their board, recently added a Disney executive. So that's a you know, good connection to have. So they're an interesting little company, um, plenty of cash on hand and yeah, they appear to be doing some good things. Yeah, tiny, uh, tiny bean, small business. You just leave the gags to me, Chris. You just keep doing the analysis stuff. Uh, all right, my turn for my stocks, folks. Uh, and yes, I'm doing a technical analysis perspective only. INR is the first one, Ironeer. And given they're a lithium and boron project located out of Nevada, it might not surprise you why this might be a momentum trade. So why do I like it technically? Well, it had a long basing pattern for six months. Um, the 200-day moving average has actually been trending up for the first time in a very long time, and it's been doing that since October. Now, in October, it created a new higher high. Uh, recently, um, a new 12-month high, actually, if I have a look at the chart there. All the indicators that you want to look at, be it RSI or MACD, all look good. So where is my stop, you might be asking? Uh, $0.25 cents is where I'd be alerted, where I'd probably be on the balls of my feet to watch this quite closely. Uh, $0.23 cents or 23 and a half cents actually, is probably where I would just dump on market. Upside target, well, the previous all-time high, I think is around 50 odd plus cents. So there's some ways to go yet. I think there's some good upside with some tight stops. Speaking of which, keep this one tight um, because the stock I got in a dollar four, currently dollar three. I've gone early on this one. It's, um, I'm hoping that it will go the right way. Not a great strategy, but we'll see. Alkane Resources, code ALK, for those of you playing along at home. Gold miner out of New South Wales. I say early because they've had, you know, their results have been a little bit ho-hum. Um, you know, their share price did fall quite aggressively and has around 50%. There is huge potential at Boda. They've just got to get lucky, really. 
Anyway, I digress. Chart is why I bought it. I went early. Why? Because the RSI is just below 50. The price has just got back to its 200-day moving average. And MACD, though below the line, has turned positive. It hit a new lower high um, on Monday. My stop will probably be around the 95 cent mark, just above the previous lower low. If it can break a dollar eight, it could hit a dollar 40. Uh, and then I'll reassess from there. But it's a bit of a toss of the coin. So just remember that, folks. And remember, see the light is proud to be given uh, to you all by Macro Capital, your complete solution for stock market research, advice, and trade execution. Just go to the website, macro.com.au. Well, folks, that's all we have time for today and this week. So once again, on behalf of all of you, thank you very much, Chris from Spotty Consulting, my partner in Shine, for your contribution today. Thanks, Elio. Great to be on the show and great to be on the show this year. And I wish everyone a very Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I don't even want that. Just give me another 2020, will you? Because uh, it's been a ripper for portfolios. Oh, and enjoy the next uh, 10 days off while you go camping as well, mate. It's okay. I'll yes. just stay here and keep slaving away. You just go and enjoy yourself. I won't disturb you, okay? You just go have some fun. Uh, yeah, now, no, just remember, it, if you've got withdrawal symptoms, go to now. the website, spotty.com.au to get past episodes. Um, on the right-hand side, you'll see the guests. Just click on your favorite name and you'll see the episodes that they appear in. You can also search with the company code in the top right-hand corner as well. Uh, if you've got a question over the weekend or Thursday and Friday, then question at spotty.com.au or text us 0480 079089. But don't ring to see if we're up for a good night out. Dexter doesn't answer your phone call. Follow us on social media, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter. Thanks again to Share Wealth Systems. Remember 16trades.com.au to learn more about how they help investors every single day. Thanks, Ticker, for letting us take an hour of prime time. Thanks, uh, Rick, for pushing all the right buttons. Stay tuned for the Ben Robin Robo Show, folks. And until next week, I'm Elio D'Amato. You've been watching Spotty. And together, we've been shining the spotlight on shares. Take care.